In the run-up to the first Climate Adaptation Summit in 2021, organized by the Global Center on Adaptation, ECDPM wants to learn more about this strategy to tackle climate change. Simply put, climate adaptation means adjusting life to a changing climate. Throughout the series, we will talk about how adaptation can build better food systems or how it can be a means to peace building. We want to present practical ideas that are relevant for Europe and Africa. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello everyone, my name is San Bilal. I'm ECDPM's Head of Program on Trade, Investments and Finance. Welcome to the fourth episode of our Climate Adaptation Talks, during which we want to learn more about adaptation from different perspectives. Today, as part of our work on climate finance under the EU-funded Horizon 2020 project Cascades, Cascading Climate Risk Towards Adaptative and Resilient European Societies, I'll be talking to Dr. Cinzia Lozano, who is the lead specialist on climate adaptation at the European Investment Bank, or EIB, based in Luxembourg. Hello, Dr. Lozano. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, uh, and thanks very much for having me. I'm delighted to contribute to this initiative. Dr. Lozano, you have an incredibly rich experience in climate change, uh, particularly uh, climate adaptation, including previously at the Asian Development Bank and currently leading the European Investment Bank's strategic and operational approaches on climate change adaptation financing. Tell us about what has inspired you to focus on climate change adaptation and why. Inspired is indeed what happened in my case. When I was a university student, I was fortunate to attend an inspirational talk by a diplomat from the Philippines. She spoke of the changes that uh, her country was experiencing. She talked about sea level rising, coastal areas being eroded by stronger storm surges, typhoons becoming more severe year after year. And she spoke of how these changes in the weather were affecting the lives of people in the many islands of the Philippines that were causing disasters, destroying houses, cities, displacing people, and in many cases, claiming lives. And I was struck by her passion and her honesty, and I was fascinated by the phenomena she was describing, the impacts of climate change. And of course, did, little did I know at that time that several years later, I would live in the Philippines and experience my, myself some of the devastations that she described then. I had the honor to meet this very special person in many meetings of the international climate negotiations several years later. Unfortunately, she is no longer with us, but she has left an incredible legacy, which I hope to live up to. And now, many years later, she is still my moral compass in the complex world of financing for climate change adaptation and resilience. And it is thanks to her that I never forget what my job is really about and that, that the people I really work for are the vulnerable people of the world. This is indeed a very inspiring uh, story that you're telling us. Uh, in November 2020, the European Investment Bank published its uh, Climate Bank Roadmap 2021-2025, and it continues to position itself as the Climate Bank. What does it mean for the EIB to be the EU Climate Bank? And what is the roadmap all about? For the EIB to be the EU Climate Bank, um, it means... Uh, to deliver four strategic 
commitments. So first of all is to stop supporting fossil-based energy generation. The second is to align all our activities with the objectives of the Paris Agreement by the end of this year. The third commitment is to dedicate more than 50% of our financing to climate action and environmental sustainability by 2025. And the fourth commitment is to support 1 trillion euros of investment in climate action and environmental sustainability in the next critical decade. Even in these very difficult times, our response to the ongoing pandemic has been framed by these commitments. Now, you asked me what the Climate Bank uh, Roadmap is about. The roadmap really paves the way for the EIB to be able to deliver these commitments. And it breaks it down to basically four work streams. It's about accelerating, of course, the green transition worldwide. So we will increase our support for, for green investments and long-term innovation. Secondly, uh, it's about uh, a transition that is just for all. And this means we will work to support communities exposed to structural change and climate risks, leaving no one and no place behind. And the third work stream is about everything else we do other than climate action. We are the EU bank um, and we uh, will continue to support the EU policy goals. So we will ensure that none of these activities significantly harms uh, the transition. And then finally, the roadmap basically describes our policy approach to sustainable finance and the internal systems and the necessary accountability behind it. So the Climate Bank roadmap makes it clear that the EIB will strengthen its support for EU external action through development financing. Uh, one of the elements you mentioned was the, the importance of leaving no one behind, which is, of course, very important for, for developing countries. But sometimes we hear that trying to focus too much on uh, the green dimension could lead uh, to expensive solutions and, and would be more difficult to, to be affordable for developing countries and also for the poorest people. Can you perhaps explain what does it mean just for all and leaving no one behind in the roadmap? Leaving no one and no place behind means not only providing the financing, but also um, really supporting different types of actors, particularly in the vulnerable corners of the world. But um, the financing is, is not all the story. It's also really about building the capacity of local communities, of, of uh, local governments, of businesses, cities, corporates, in the development world to make the best use of this finance. And, and one of the group that is the most vulnerable is are the women. We, we know that they are hardly affected by climate change. Is the EU, and the, in particular the EIB, adopting a gender lens to its climate adaptation uh, operation in developing countries? Yes, we are adopting a, a gender lens in our operations. Our climate and gender commitments are strictly connected. It couldn't be otherwise. So we know that gender-responsive climate investments strengthen climate and environmental outcomes and then open up business opportunities and are financially more effective just beyond uh, simply being the right thing to do. Of course, we still have some way to go in connecting all the dots, but we want to provide more gender-responsive climate finance and I can give you some example, you know, lending to women entrepreneurs and fund managers active in the climate and environment space 
to scale up their businesses and funds or financing projects that can tackle deep-rooted um, gender inequalities as well as strengthen the resilience and adaptive capacity of women and girls worldwide or ensuring that women and girls have access um, and, and benefit from uh, climate resilient infrastructure and services generated by our investments, or supporting clients uh, to set targets for women's employment and leadership opportunities through our range of advisory and technical assistance. On adaptation in particular, we want to invest more in small-scale or subsistence farmers, and especially female or young farmers to have better access to climate resilient agriculture, and water practices, crop and climate risk insurance and information. There are so many opportunities. If we look at climate action also with agenda and a more broad uh, social development lens, for example, investment that promotes disaster risk prevention, climate resilient urban and rural infrastructure for deprived municipality as well as innovative flood protection and early warning system considering the need of the most vulnerable. These will be vital in the critical decade ahead of us to reduce the climate vulnerabilities of women and marginalized and vulnerable groups. So we know that the EIB has been a pioneer in climate financing. We were one of the first ones to have climate bonds and, and, and has been doing a lot on resilience. But in terms of activities so far on climate adaptation, the EIB seems to be lagging behind many of the other multilateral development banks. I think less than 10% of the share of uh, climate finance by the EIB is going to climate adaptation compared to uh, an average of 30% for MDBs and as high as almost 50% for the African Development Bank. Why the EIB has been doing so little and, and how do you intend to address this in the future? So historically, the EIB has committed a large amount of financing to climate change mitigation. The EIB is the EU bank, and as such, we support the policy goals of the EU member states. So when it comes to climate action, climate change mitigation is a priority for EU member states. So historically, there's been a smaller focus on adaptation because of this need. But there has been a shift over the last few years. The IB has invested significant resources to create um, internal systems for screening projects for physical climate risk and ensure that projects we finance, and especially infrastructure projects, are better able to cope with future climate. We have established our own climate risk assessment system. We have developed our own screening tools and guidelines on what adaptation means for different economic activities. And we have built the institutional capacity of our sector engineers and loan officers so in other words, we have put our house in order and then we have gradually expanded our universe of investments for adaptation and resilience. And this gradual shift has culminated in adaptation gain the central stage, or at least sharing the central stage in the EIB Climate Bank Roadmap. Our new ambition is to increase our support to the emerging market of climate resilience innovation this is an area where private sector's engagement is vital. It is also an area where the EAB can really play a key role and one that I'm particularly excited about. I am talking about technologies, products and services that can remove technological and knowledge barriers to adaptation. For example, technologies that can anticipate and communicate extreme weather events such as a limonian system or technologies that can make more efficient use of water for irrigation purposes, crops more resilient to extreme weather, climate services information that can be used for resilient infrastructure 
digital products that can support small whole farmers, um, make climate informed decisions. The sky really is the limit. So after producing the climate bank roadmap this year, we are not going to rest. We will be busy developing the EIB adaptation plan next year. So lots of work ahead for us in 2021. So you will will come up with a specific adaptation plan for next year on outlining your future activities? That's correct. Outlining our priorities in terms of types of operations, clients, uh, geographies, and sectors of, uh, of focus. So we are very excited about this development and we hope to uh, be able to share it with all our partners next year. Based on the experience of the EIB, what are the key lessons you, you've learned from the success stories, but perhaps also from the challenges that you have encountered in uh, climate adaptation? The main challenge still remains the lack of understanding or what adaptation and building greater resilience are about. In the world of finance, we like to rely on our well-established ways of doing investments. And this translates often in a backward-looking approach. We rely on the typical deal structure. We replicate the tested financial product. We engage with clients we are comfortable with. We still rely on historical data to inform infrastructure investments in many cases. So we tend to do what we have done before, the way we've done it before. But this is problematic because adapting to climate change means to take a forward-looking approach and understanding how the socioeconomic context of an investment may change in the future. The risks resulting from climate change are vast and they are uncertain, but they can be anticipated. The lessons are learned by doing adaptation on the ground in some of the most fascinating places in the world is that adapting to climate change really requires an understanding of where you are operating, the socioeconomic context and how this may be affected in the future. So, for example, the investment uh, program to support climate change resilience of the water sector in Mozambique finances the construction and increased resilience of the water supply in wastewater infrastructure, uh, which were destroyed um, uh, by the cyclones uh, Idai and Kenneth in uh, Mozambique. I think this is an interesting project because of the attempt to build back better after the occurrence of extreme events, and it takes a system approach by financing a number of investments in the water sector. Another very different example is um, the Climate Resilience and Adaptation Finance Technology Transfer Facility, or CRAFT, as we call it. Um, And this is the first private sector fund dedicated to resilience to climate change in developing countries. It targets the private sector, uh, providing technical resilience solutions. Another uh, example of a fund with a perhaps broader scope is the City Climate Finance uh, Gap Fund, which was launched last year at the UN Climate Action Summit. And this fund helps cities in developing and emerging economies realize their ambitions for both climate resilience and low carbon development. It aims to turn resilient uh, low carbon urbanization plans and projects into uh, investments, so finance-ready investments, and offers uh, technical and advisory services to assist the local leaders in prioritizing and preparing climate smart investments and programs at the early stage with the goal of ensuring they are bankable. I mentioned this fund because I think it is an example of how 
collaboration between different multilateral development bank and financial institutions like the EAB and the World Bank in this case, together with governments and local authorities, can really support the global shift towards a low-carbon climate-resilient economy. You mentioned the importance of understanding the, the local context and, and have the local knowledge. Most of the staff of the EIB is in the headquarters in Luxembourg, not in the field. Uh, how do, will you work to get this local uh, knowledge and will you work more through the EU delegations that are present in all the, the countries and how will you reach out to these partners? We work through our uh, regional offices to reach out to a wide range uh, of partners and we do have uh, indeed a uh, a large client base that allows us to work with infrastructure managers, with local governments, large national governments, businesses, smaller and medium enterprises. Uh, we work with uh, microfinancial institutions. We work with national development banks. So we in certainly uh, intend to work more closely with uh, the EU delegations across uh, the world. And we are discussing this opportunity, of course, with the EU Commission and the EU delegations. So this is an area that we'll explore further in the context of our adaptation plan. Uh, I also noticed that you have co-chaired the development of an adaptation taxonomy under the EU Technical Expert Group on Sustainable Finance. First, can you tell us what does taxonomy really mean and, and why, why does it matter? Why do people talk so much about it? Uh, and what is the European Investment Bank going to do to help develop a, a taxonomy and adaptation? There is still lack of clarity of what an investment that contributes to climate and environmental objectives looks like. And there is still limited information on what makes it different from other investments. This is still the case in the real economy and in the financial world. The EU taxonomy on sustainable finance tries to provide this clarity by establishing clear and robust definitions of green investments, as well as accompanying disclosure and reporting requirements. The taxonomy is basically a set of technical criteria to determine whether an economic activity contributes to an environmental objective and does no harm other environmental objectives. There are in total six environmental objectives, so climate change adaptation and climate change mitigation, sustainable use and protection of water and marine resources, transition to a circular economy, pollution prevention and control, and protection and restoration of biodiversity ecosystem. So for example, if an activity contributes to adaptation, then it must meet a set of technical criteria as well as a set of do no significant harm criteria. For adaptation, the technical criteria are basically process-based and centered around the need to uh, identify physical climate risk that may affect the activity on the basis of scientific evidence. The activity must be also consistent with a relevant resilience plan and include indicators to measure adaptation finance. Only if the activity meets all of these criteria and the sector-based do not significant harm criteria, then the activity can be considered as sustainable finance. What is also groundbreaking in the EU taxonomy is that any investment that wants to be green must not cause significant harm to adaptation. So basically, the activity must be adapted to future climate and of course cause no harm to all the other environmental objectives.
So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Lozano, for sharing your insights with us. And uh, I wish you all the best luck on uh, the heavy endeavor that you have uh, so important in front of you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to our Climate Adaptation Talks. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at ECDPM to stay up to date on all our latest papers, blogs, and news on EU-Africa cooperation. See you next time.